The time has come for some of the greatest jokes that have ever been heard in the history of the world. There's nothing better than gathering on Stampede Sunday knowing that these are going to come and that they're going to end. <laughs> this one's very short and sweet. What sickness do cowboys get from riding wild horses? Bronchitis. Huh? A cowboy, a cowboy was going deer hunting. This is, this is close to my heart here. His blonde wife, I don't know why they're always blondes, but anyway, his blonde wife said she was going with him, that they never did anything together. So they went. She put, he put her in a stand by herself. Later in the morning, he heard her shoot. He went over to her stand and she was pointing her rifle at a guy with a cowboy hat on. The guy was telling her, ma'am, you can have the deer you shot. I just want to take my saddle off of him. <laughs> Brian, huh? Not bad? Yeah, it's beauty. Absolutely beautiful. There were two old boys from Arkansas who loved to fish. They wanted to do some ice fishing, so they went up to the Great Lakes to go ice fishing. And the lake was frozen solid. So they stopped just before they got to the lake at a little bait shop and got all their tackle, everything they needed, one of them said, we're going to need a couple of ice picks. After they got their equipment off, they went to the lake. A couple of hours later, one of them comes back to the shop, and he said, we're going to need some more ice picks. He paid for the ice picks, and he left. An hour later, he was back at the shop again. We're going to need some more ice picks, all the ice picks you've got. The bait man couldn't stand any longer. By the way, he asked, how are you fellows doing? Not very well at all, the boy said. We don't even have the stupid boat in the water yet. Two good old boys bought a couple of horses that they used to make some money during the summer. But when, win but when winter came, they found it cost way too much to board them, so they turned the horses loose in the pasture where there was plenty to eat. How will we tell our horses, mine from yours, when we pick them up, one of them asked. Easy, replied the other. We'll cut the mane off the, the one, and we'll cut the tail off the other. And by spring, unfortunately, the mane and the tail had both grown back to normal length, and they didn't know whose horse was who, except... And one of them said, now what are we going to do? And the other one said, well, you just take the black one and I'll take the white one. <laughs> it was at least as good as that, Orin. And then lastly, this is a religious one. The devout cowboy lost his favorite Bible while he was mending fences out on the range. Three weeks later, a donkey walked up to him carrying the Bible in its mouth. The cowboy couldn't believe his eyes. He took the precious book out of the donkey's mouth, raised his eyes heavenward, and exclaimed, It's a miracle! Not really, said the donkey. Your name's written inside the cover. <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> Another cowboy year of jokes bites the dust. I told Robin I didn't know if I could do jokes this morning because there's something very serious on my heart today. So I got those out of the way and I want to turn to something that's very serious. Um, most of you know that I spent 15 years uh, with the church in Victoria, that uh, in that church are some of my dearest friends 
uh, in the world. And um, one of the, the persons who has become a good friend just in the last little while is their preacher, Travis Hutchinson. Um, I've been out several times to do things in Victoria, and I've had a chance to spend some time with Travis, and he and I have had lunch together several times and have enjoyed each other's company. Um, last, just last week, uh, Jonathan and Dustin and I spent some time on uh, the phone on the internet uh, just uh, talking with Travis and a number of other preachers across Canada uh, in a video conference, and it was very, very wonderful. It was great to have Travis on there. Um, Travis, I think it was just yesterday, um, backed over one of his children, and she didn't make it, a two-year-old. And um, I, I can't imagine what the church in Victoria must be going through this morning as they're trying to worship the Lord. I can't imagine what Travis and his family are going through. I don't know if they're there this morning. You know, I would assume he was scheduled to preach. I'm assuming that he was uh, going to be there with everybody. And it may be that they decided to go ahead and make it this morning. I don't know. Um, but they have to just be shattered. And so I want to pray for them. Let's pray, please. Lord, I would pray this morning that you would be with my brother Travis. I'm guessing that this morning he just wishes that his life was over. And I can't imagine what his family must be going through. I can't imagine the I can't begin to imagine the burden that has to be on his heart today. So, Father, I pray, your word says that we can pray for a peace that passes all understanding. And God, I want you to give Travis and his family peace today. A peace that goes way beyond what we could ever imagine or expect on human grounds. God, I pray that you would send your spirit to be with them today. And Father, I... I wouldn't even I wouldn't begin to have the words that would bring him comfort. But but God, you through your spirit in the coming days you can somehow bring to him a blessing that could not possibly come in any other way. And so God, please bring him some semblance of your peace. Free his heart of guilt. Free his heart of the, the weight and the sense of responsibility. Father, I pray that you'd be with all the relationships in that family, including the several, the several other children that Travis and his wife have together. And some of them, Father, who experienced this firsthand. Please bring your comfort and your peace through your Holy Spirit to this entire family. And Father, for the church in Victoria's, as they rally around the Hutchinsons, 
and certainly as they gather for worship this morning, I would pray that their time will be filled with you. Be there right in the middle of them, God. Be there with them and bless them with each other and with your spirit and with you. And just let there be somehow comfort and unity, a sense of dependence upon each other. Help them to hold each other up. And, and help them, God, just to be so present and strong and encouraging and of blessing in whatever way it needs to come to the Hutchinson family. We pray these things this morning through Jesus. Amen. You know, I just couldn't think of, like we were singing, It Is Well With My Soul. And other, you know, hymns this morning that were just talking about God's blessing on the hurting and those who, um, you know, who have endured bitter things in life. And it will take time, um, but even for this family, there can, there can be peace and comfort. I, again, I just can't imagine what they must be going through today. I would love it if you'd all turn to Romans, or sorry, to Matthew chapter 8. To Matthew chapter 8. Maybe if somebody's looking in a Bible under the seats, they could uh, tell us what page that's on. I don't have that this morning. Matthew chapter 8. We're going through this series on ministering in the way of Jesus, on ministering to people who badly need the presence of God. And Jesus is so wonderful in the way that He presents Himself to humankind and makes Himself available. The way that human beings who are suffering in all kinds of ways come to Him, and so readily, so willing, they clearly see something in Jesus that they need, and so they just keep coming. We saw this last week in the story of the the man who was healed from leprosy, who had such incredible needs. All his life, he'd been banished. All his life, separated from human contact. It was just part of their society that they would push him absolutely away from them. And... uh, and now, this morning, a, a different kind of story in so many ways, and yet with some similarities, which I'm going to show you in just a second. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. And if you don't know, a centurion is a Roman soldier, one who is quite high in rank, one over many, many other soldiers. And it, he, like it wouldn't be necessarily clear exactly how many, by the way. We Sometimes we think we've got that nailed down, but it, it wasn't a figure that was just like, oh, it's always got to be this. But definitely a leader uh, within the Roman army. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. This is interesting. This shows you right there the heart of this man, this centurion who in typical fashion wouldn't give a flip about the Jews that are serving him, which most likely it's a slave, probably Jewish, who is serving him. And in this case, he does care about this one. And he comes to Jesus to ask for help. Jesus said, and it's uh, the way the text goes here, he says it immediately. 
I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it's interesting, if you, like I have a Roman Catholic past, some of the rest of you have Roman Catholic past, this is a line that's read, or was read when I was a little boy anyway, in the liturgy of the Catholic Church every Sunday. We always read that, that line, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my soul will be healed, is the way we said it. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell, you, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he, go, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Let's pray again. Lord, this morning we need your presence. We need your blessing to be with us as we look at this portion of Scripture. And, And there are, Father, people here who need to hear this this morning just as I do. And so we want your spirit to come and pierce our hearts with your word and change us. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned that there are some similarities here between this story and the one from last week, and I'd certainly find some. Um, I, I think these are actually fairly meaningful. First of all, neither the man with leprosy nor the centurion would, would be followers of Jesus. These were not people who were part of the crowd following Jesus around everywhere. They wouldn't have been accepted by the crowd. They couldn't have been part of the crowd. But clearly, they know something about Jesus. They've seen something of Jesus. They've heard something of Jesus. And they make sure that they go and they find Jesus, even if they wouldn't have been part of his regular followers. Secondly, both are on the fringe of the Jewish society that Jesus is serving. They're outcasts. The leper, obviously, because of the Jewish law and... He would have been banished, as we mentioned last week. The Roman centurion, because he was part of a pagan lordship that was over the Jews at this point. The Jews couldn't stand the Romans. They hated them. They hated their presence. They hated everything about them. And the centurion would represent nothing but the Roman presence. And so he would have been hated by all of Jewish society. And yet, he comes to a Jewish rabbi to learn, and in this case, to be healed. Both call Jesus master placing themselves under his authority. And this is astonishing, I suppose, for the leper in that he had any kind of respect for anybody at all who's Jewish and that they would always be banishing him. But the centurion has a specific governmental allowance that allows him to be in control over the people under him in Jewish society. And here he is coming and calling Jesus master or Lord, even though the centurion is the one who officially has the kind of authority. Both bear an air of humility, even though they stand absolutely on the opposite ends of the societal spectrum, which is interesting. Uh, the leper might be kind of understanding, understandable why he would have a sense of humility about himself, but the centurion, not at all. And yet he comes and puts himself in that kind of position of humility in light of his servant being sick. And again, I think this shows a great deal about this person's heart, 
uh, and, and who exactly these people are. Just because you're raised as a Roman doesn't mean you have a bad heart. And the Jews would have thought so, but in this case, it's not true at all. Just say the word seems to me in many ways no different than if you are willing. Of course, if you are willing is what was said before uh, with the leper. If you're willing, you'll make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing to be clean. Here, he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, of course, is quite willing to say the word. But they seem to be comparable in the ways that they say something about the respect uh, for Jesus' authority and for his power and presence able to do these kind of things. The centurion also recognized the authority of Jesus over illness as the leper clearly did too. And so there is some sense of authority on Jesus' part held by both. They recognize this, and it's, this is not actually that unusual that a teacher would be respected in this way. They tended to, as I've mentioned before, there were a lot of spells that were cast in the ancient world. Uh, there was incantations being cast all the time. There was a lot of magic. And for someone like Jesus to have control or even a magical power that would allow him to influence illness uh, wouldn't necessarily be a, a revolutionary thing uh, as it would be for us. In both cases, the healings are virtually instantaneous. Uh, the leper, of course, is healed immediately. And in this case, it says that that very hour, the servant of the centurion uh, was healed. And then lastly here, just in terms of similarities, I'm sure that there, there's at least one more that I'll mention later, but you could probably come up with some others, is that um, in, ah, here we go. in both cases, the healings are virtually instantaneous. Oh, I said that one. Sorry. There we go. I was right to begin with. Jesus is far more interested in the leper and the centurion than he is in the provisions of the law. Because Jesus would compromise the law by spending time with either one of these individuals. Certainly the leper, that would be a violation directly of the Mosaic law. But for him to spend that kind of time with an uncircumcised person and then be on, in good relationships with him, and one, especially one who is uh, over Israel, uh, all of that would have been against both Jewish and Mosaic law, which in many cases I realize are the same. But in this case, uh, it would have been a violation for both. So Jesus puts himself in a difficult position, at least in the eyes of the Jews, in terms of what it is uh, that he's going to do for the centurion. And yet he's willing to do so. And there are three things that I want us to see come out of this that I think happen in this story that I think are maybe instructive for us as well. First of all, Jesus is immediately ready to help the centurion simply out of compassion not caring who he is with regards to race or religious commitment. And this is telling. And this is important for us. Because I don't know if you have noticed this, but when I look around the community of Marlboro, when I see the people that I... Like I was in Canadian Tire the other day, and I'm standing in the cashier line, and I just did a quick look around like this, looked around... And I probably saw 30 people, and of the 30 people that I looked at in Canadian Tire, I was the only white guy there. And if I go to Canadian Superstore, which is just across 36 from where I live in Rundle, and I look around at Canadian Superstore, chances are I'm going to be one of the very few white people in there. And the fact is that when I look around our auditorium right now, there are maybe a majority of white faces, but things are changing drastically in our culture. 
there are a lot more folks here that are not white than there used to be. And you know, when I was a little boy, and I can say this directly from my own experience in my own, uh, what am I trying to say here? My, my family, my father was prejudicial. My father would say things about people from other races that were derogatory. I have to admit to you, there are times when I've wondered how my father would have responded to my own daughter. And that's, that's a horrible kind of commentary to make. It's a, it's a terrible statement to make about someone that you love as much as I love my dad. But the fact is, it's true. And there are times in the history of the United States or in Canada when we have not been, even in the church, as gracious and loving toward those who are not white as we should be. Jonathan, I'm sure, could tell you stories about occasions when he was growing up in Abilene and even part of the church when he would have heard things that would have been derogatory. I can remember sitting in a Bible class with a Bible professor at ACU in 1979 and he told a joke that included a racial element in a Bible class at ACU in 1979, not 1959, 1979. For those of you who don't know this, that wasn't all that long ago. <laughs> and the fact is, is that Jesus expects something different from us, and He shows it in this story. He is immediately ready to help the centurion simply out of compassion, and he doesn't care about his race. He doesn't care about his religious commitment. Jesus just wanted to help somebody, and he does it immediately. The centurion comes and says, my servant's sick, and Jesus says, I'll go and help him immediately. It's only after that that Jesus finds out about the centurion's faith. Previous to that, Jesus is simply ready to, her, to help. And notice he doesn't expect a commitment from him first. He's not saying to him, you know, I'll expect first from you some kind of religious commitment. Do you think I'm Lord or something? He's not asking questions there. Jesus simply says, I'm going to help. I think this is significant, and we need to make sure that we have in our minds the kind of attitude toward those around us that are different than we are, which is constructive and loving and gracious and unifying and all the things that Jesus himself would have when he looked at other people. Secondly, Jesus is genuinely excited or at least impressed when the depth of the centurion's faith comes out. When Jesus realizes what he's got before him, this guy of faith, he gets excited. I have not seen anything like this in Israel, he says. And he doesn't say, exclusive of my disciples, by the way. Well, Peter's got a lot more faith, of course, and John does, of course. He doesn't say that. What he says is, is that I find more faith in this centurion than I find in all of Israel. It's amazing how shocking this kind of event must have been, by the way, to the Jewish leaders. Can you imagine what it was like when they're criticizing the, the Messiah? 
this one who purports to be Messiah, this rabbi, and he, they constantly see him dealing with people like this, open to people like this. They can't stand this. This is the very thing that they hate. This is why the tax collectors were so hated by everybody else, because they collaborated with the Romans. And here Jesus is collaborating in some sense with the Romans. Notice in verse 10 that there's a direct statement by Jesus about the superiority of the faith of the centurion over the faith of anyone in Israel. And then notice in verses 11 and 12 the implication that the centurion is more in line with the patriarchs even than are the Jews. He basically says, you who would say to me, I am Abraham's child, are in fact not as close to God or as in line with the patriarchs as is this Roman centurion. And I would say that's all because it's a question of the heart. In fact, I would say, go ahead, Brenna. It's not always the religious who have God's attention because God seems always to be looking first for the pure in heart. And again, I think this is significant for us. Where are you at this morning in terms of what your religious commitment really is? Like there are some of us who come here because it's Sunday morning. There are some of us who come here because this is something we've been doing all of our lives. We wouldn't think to do something else. It's become for us just a habit. It's just our ritual. It's just the thing that we do. Now, I kind of like it actually when a family says, you know, that's who we are. Sunday mornings, we get up, we go to church. I, I like it when families say that. That's just who they are. But it needs to be for all of us so much more than simply something that we just do. There needs to be there the kind of faith that Jesus lauds, that He admires, that impresses Him so much in this centurion. Jesus gets excited when He finds real faith among God's people. And I think that Jesus gets excited when He sees among us someone who isn't just attending church Anybody can do that. You can round people up and just get them to come to church. Cattle will do that. Sheep will do that here in cowboy country. But getting people to come with their hearts and their lives and their time and their money, their efforts absolutely devoted to Jesus and having the kind of faith in Him that allows them to say, I absolutely trust you, Lord. That's a lot harder to have done, a lot harder to find. And Jesus is so pleased when He finds it in this centurion. So the question is, what about you? Where are you really at this morning when it comes to your faith and your devotion to Jesus. Because He wants so much more for you and so much from you than just coming to church. He wants a lot more from you than to just say, I'm a Christian. The Jews could easily say, I'm a Jew. 
The Jews could easily say, I make the sacrifices. I keep the tithes. I listen to the rabbis. I go to synagogue. And Jesus would say of them, I know a centurion whose faith and commitment in me is so profound that it blows away anybody that I would find among the religious people. I pray this morning that we have something going on in our lives that's a lot more than just religion, but that there is a sincere faith and trust in Jesus so that Jesus would come and say, these people, they've got the faith of a centurion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have compassion on everybody. We're grateful for the way that you intentionally were willing to listen and respond so quickly to a centurion who would have been hated by all of the Jews around you. We praise you for that this morning. We thank you for the compassion that you would have on the slave and that you were willing to heal him so quickly. God, help us to have compassion on those around us who are different. Help us to have compassion on those around us who don't share the faith that we share and administer to them in full assurance and faith in you. And then, Father, help us to have the kind of faith that this pagan held for you. Help us to have the kind of faith that allows our religious devotion to be so much more than just an exercise in keeping a ritualistic commitment. We pray that you'd melt our hearts. Help us to have complete trust in you, to give ourselves completely to your will in our world. We thank you for the centurion and his faith. Help us, Father, to share this kind of faith. We pray through Jesus. Amen.